Well, hello. Welcome back to Between the Lines, the podcast. I'm Jay Lind, and I'll be your host. This is episode seven of the podcast, and the BTL audience just continues to grow. When I look at the numbers every morning and afternoon and three or four or five, six other times a day, I can hardly believe my eyes. People are listening, and it's working. I hope this is only the beginning. Several people reached out to me this week to let me know that they've been listening and learning. So a special BTL shout-outs this week go to Pamela, Skillet, Britt, and Winky. Anyway, if anyone else out there has been listening and learning, please remember to rate, review, and follow Between the Lines on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to help support my mission to spread kindness, positivity, and hope, please click the support the podcast link at the end of the episode notes. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns about the podcast, or if you'd like to be a guest on a future episode, please drop me an email at betweenthelinesmemoir at gmail.com. But more important than anything else, thank you all for listening today. This week, I'll be interviewing Austin, an alcoholic in early recovery. But Before we get to that, this is the good news. Good news. The good news story this week comes from the Washington Post. They are reporting some earth-shaking and very positive news from the world of oncology and cancer treatment. Six months into a small trial for a new drug used to treat early-stage rectal cancer, all 14 of the patients who completed the study saw their tumors completely vanish. You heard that right. They all saw their tumors completely vanish. I know it's just one small study, but 100% success has got to mean something. Let's hope it really is the kind of breakthrough that it seems like it is to me. So that was the good news. Now, let's get to the interview already. So, my guest today is Austin. I'm super excited about this interview for a few reasons. The first being um, that I hardly know Austin. In fact, We've only had one brief phone conversation leading up to this interview, so I can't wait to learn more about Austin's story, but I'm especially excited for Austin to share his story because it's a little different from the stories I've featured on the podcast so far. The main difference is that Austin is in early recovery, still counting his sober time in days, and from the sound of it, he's doing great. Um, This episode is also special to me. For selfish reasons, um, because it was a family friend of mine, uh, a good friend of mine from uh, of, of my family for a long time, who read my book and then shared it with Austin uh, while he was in rehab, and then he read it, and then he started listening to the podcast, and then he reached out to me, and now here he is to share his story, uh, a story that's sure to help me, 
and other addicts and alcoholics who listen to the podcast. So that's like the whole idea of doing something like this and sharing these stories and writing that book was to, uh, in hopes that it would help someone like Austin and then encourage him in this situation to, to help others and learn from his story. So uh, that was like some, some pretty instant um, reward for me in the book and the, and the podcast to show me that it's working and encouraging me to keep going. But before we start the interview, I should share some background information on Austin. Here's what I know. Austin works in HR for a large nationwide retail corporation. He's the oldest of three boys in his family. He's a songwriter who once built his own music studio and hosted a number of events. He believes in the power of mindfulness and meditation. And oh yeah, he's a Capricorn through and through. Those are his words. You know what that means, right? Good. I hope so, because I don't, but maybe we'll find out. Anyway, enough of my jibber-jabber. Let me introduce you to Austin. Welcome to the podcast. Austin, how are you feeling today? Hey, Jay. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm super excited, pumped to be here. And, you know, it's it's been a good morning so far. Since recovery, it seems that my internal alarm clock gets me up between five and seven. Doesn't matter if I set an alarm clock or not. So, yeah. Um, I've learned to enjoy the early hours of the morning when most of the world is more so asleep. Yes. And I get to take my time as I get my day started. Yes, that's a, that's a, a huge benefit for me during recovery also. is uh, I used to be a morning person, and for a long time, obviously, if I was awake in the morning, it wasn't good. Uh, I was awake at those hours of between, uh, you know, five and seven, usually just because I was still awake. Uh, and now these really, like like you're saying, is my favorite favorite hours of the day. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I really appreciate you being here. But before we get going, right off the bat, what's your what's your day count today? How many days since your last drink? It is day 84. That's awesome. 84. So 90 is a big one. I remember 90 being like a big number. They're all equally important, right? We're supposed to at one day at a time, but some of the numbers feel big. Well, uh, congratulations, man. 84 days is no joke. Yeah, it's it's been tough. Um, yeah, it has its ups and downs. There's some really good days, and then there's some um, tougher days where I got to, you know, use some coping skills I learned or just be mindful, like that power of mindfulness. Like you said, I'm very big on that. And um, just using that to my advantage to make sure I'm good for the day. Before um, before you went to rehab, when's the last time you were sober for 84 days? <laughs> uh, <laughs> before my first drink, so. Yeah, so. <laughs> age of four to the age of 17 was my longest yeah. period <laughs> that was your longest one so since you're 17 so it's been a long time i remember thinking i didn't really that didn't hit me right away and then the first time i was like oh my god the longest i've been this sober was when i was 14 years old <laughs> you know uh so uh yeah that's a big deal and it's uh it's great to start feeling the effects uh, at that at that stage at 80 plus days there your body and mind are, are just uh, are definitely feeling better, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I downloaded um, an app quite a while ago when I was trying to do this recovery on my own. I was like, I can do this myself. And um, I had this app. And so I still use it. It, it actually gives me health updates. And I think the, the oh, most yeah. recent was a couple of the recent ones are like improved sleep. So it's like, 
noticing that I can sleep through the night now and not have disturbances and good digestive now, good digestive system. So um, some of those things, clarity of mind, it just, it feels great to be sober. Yeah, you're right. And that's good to have. I like that. What's the name of the app? It's called Reframe. Okay. I like that. I'm going to mm-hmm. write that down. That's cool. Yeah. I, I think like that some of that stuff that you mentioned is stuff that I think we forget about too. Like for me, a big part, you mentioned the sleep. So not just time in bed or whatever, just the, the quality of my sleep is mm-hmm. so much better. I mean, I wasn't sleeping very much at all back then, but even when I did, it's, it's not quality sleep. It's interrupted, like you said, um, because your body is going through so much when you're, when you're drinking or using drugs all the time and, or you're in withdrawals or something, your body is either high or wanting to get high in some way or another. And that makes it hard to get a good night's sleep for sure. Yeah. And your digestive system. Yeah. I guess that's, we probably don't need to talk about all the details there, but certainly, certainly better, better now. Um, okay. Reframe. I'm going to write that down. All right. Well, let's get, I want to talk just quickly. We'll get through your, uh, your journey in, uh, you know, what got you to rehab. Um, so like, I guess go back. When did, uh, when did you start drinking and when did it become a problem for you? You know, what's kind of the, your origin story? Um, I like, first, I just want to say, I like that you use origin story. I tell everyone that when I'm like doing a peer intro or some people call qualifiers. Now oh, this is my origin story. So that's right. Um, so when I was, I first started drinking at 17, it was, um, it was, I, you know, I had just gotten done hunting with my dad and I knew he had some leftover beers that were one-offs from the six pack. And I knew he would, he probably wouldn't notice. I, I'm sure he did, but um, I just grabbed a couple and um, my first time ever saw so <laughs> funny story. I actually hid them in the gutter because <laughs> my right outside um, on the top floor of my mom's house and they froze over the winter oh. and I went back on them and I was like, oh shit, this is going to ruin the gutter. Like it's going to be problem. <laughs> so I chiseled them out and broke a Sierra Nevada which as you knows maybe like closer to seven percent that was the first beer i ever had and i had to chug it because it was broken <laughs> um so i got a full blast of it and you know it just felt really good it mm-hmm. felt like this wave of bliss just washed over me and i didn't have to worry about things um i was you know it was winter time the finals midterms were coming up so i was like i didn't worry about them dinner was amazing it tasted better like every all my senses were just on this high functioning state and um i started smoking weed too around that time i think when it became you know if i think about when it became a problem i would say in college it did and when i look back my roommate and i were big gamers and um, I had just started getting into like really enjoying getting near blackout, like that real loss of inhibition and state of consciousness right on the verge. I really enjoyed that state of mind. And um, so did my roommate. And we isolated in our dorm room and played video games and just drank together. Um, it started Friday, Saturdays, maybe sometimes Sundays. Then we were like, yeah, it's college, thirsty Thursdays. And then it was then it was Wednesday night, and then it was, so it it got to be quite 
quite often. Um, I always like to bring up too, in college, we got in trouble in the dorms. Mm -hmm. Because of that, we had to take a a course, a special course on drinking, pay our fines, take a course on drinking. And in the course, we like laid out our drinking patterns and it was like a test in a sense. And both of our results said within the next five years, we would be alcoholics. And Mm -hmm. being young, you know, being like 18 years old, we just kind of laughed. We plussed out laughing like, ah, that's hilarious. You know, this is college. That'll never happen to us. Um, fortunately for my friend, he has gone on to live a very sober life, become more of a normalized drinker and travel the world and and you'll live his best life. Unfortunately for me, I went down a pretty downward spiral. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, I think it was all fun and games for a while on my birthday, freshman year of college, I tried what I thought was acid for the first time um, and had one of the most profound psychedelic experiences I think I've ever had in my life. And there was a portion of it at the end that was extremely bad, um, very difficult to handle. And I was fighting it a lot. And ultimately I kind of found myself in a position where I felt that I had acquired this demonic spirit that was now following me wow um now you know move fast forward just a little bit i you know i don't know if that has gone away i don't know if i'm more friends with it now or what the case may be but i think for a long time i accepted it and adopted that dark evil presence as part of me Mm -hmm. and really made drinking spiral out of control um I drank to try and numb those thoughts, just to not think about things even more. I let this dark presence wash over me and I became, you know, I, I would, I just became isolated and, and a nasty person, very selfish, um, especially with how I was building relationships. I was like almost caring about people in a selfish way because I knew that they would care for me and take care of me. Um, and it just got really difficult. Um, when I turned 21, all hell broke loose because then I could just buy it and go out and do whatever I wanted. You know, mm-hmm. I had a family member who passed away and left a large sum of money in my name, too. And so then I'm 21, living on my own, graduated college. I got you know a job going. And then all this money kind of just sitting in a bank account, no one to really tell me how to use it or save or invest or anything. So what did I- It's a recipe for disaster right there. I'm just imagining it. Yeah, at that age, if if I had that situation, it was uh, too much. It was really hard. Um, I I had a a glass blowing it all. (laughs) For a while. It was like, it was a poor investment. I'd look at it as an investment. I invested in my addiction and my alcoholism and large sums of money allowed me to get into contact with other drugs and and begin using more psychedelics, more Molly and ecstasy, large sums of cocaine and, and even dabbling in, you know, with, with uh, relationships with dealers and Mm -hmm. really putting myself in really bad situations, surrounding myself with really bad people 
which only encouraged the the use and the selfishness and hurting others and I think at a certain point I was losing friendships um and then at about 24 25 I really had no idea what I was doing anymore um I had you know, maybe lost 75 percent of my relationships mm-hmm. the people that stuck around are family to me because they're still around today and they support my recovery but those are the only people I had and even then they were very wary of hanging out with me they didn't really want to yeah and hang out every once in a while make sure I was okay um and at that point you know around 26 27 the last two years I I was cooped up drinking close to a fifth a night of liquor equivalent whether it was beer or locos, tall boys, uh, bottle, wine, champagne, you know, whatever it was, whatever it, was. <laughs> whatever it takes to do the job, right? Yeah. And um, at a, in the last two years, I really became what I like to call a proud alcoholic. I wasn't switching grocery stores. I wasn't switching the local liquor store. <laughs> I was allowed to walk in that I knew the owners, that I could get a discount. I knew the regulars, they knew what I was going to buy, they knew me by name. Um, I was building a community around myself that encouraged my alcoholism, and I liked it. I was like, cool, these people like me because I'm an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. When really, they just like me because I'm spending money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's tricky. And and same thing is true. Um, you know, a lot of alcoholics and addicts surround themselves with other alcoholics and addicts uh, because then you it appears normal. Um, so yeah, I lived in two different worlds. One where my addiction was normal and almost everybody I was around in the in that part of my life was a drug addict, not just used drugs once in a while, but was a drug addict. And so, and I often felt, well, I'm, they got it much worse than I do. I go to this, back to this normal life and teacher and all that stuff. And, uh, and I'm a dad and I, I'm okay uh, in comparison. So sometimes that's what it takes. If I was around normal people all the time, I would have it have been uh, easier for me to figure out that, that I was sick. Definitely. I, I can totally relate because, you know, I look back these last two years, cocaine really ramped up to daily, uh, almost daily. I mean, really, it was a lot. And it was to stay up so I could go to work and actually get stuff done. And then coming home, it'd be like, all right, well, there's some left. And then just not sleeping at all. And and then I looked at my friends around me and it's like, well, everybody's doing this. This is normal. This is fine. It, it's, I still get to work and do my job. And everybody that I'm friends with is doing this or we're buying stuff together, partying together. It's totally fine. This is what life is supposed to be like at this age. Um, and even moving forward, I can live this lifestyle. And I'm like, this is not a lifestyle. No. Not fun anymore, and it doesn't last. But so I mean, you, you you're laughing when you say it now because it seems so ridiculous. But in the moment, we we really can convince ourselves that it's okay, that we're going to be okay. We can sustain it. We're not. It's not really a problem. You know, we know how to turn it on and off, or something. We can go, uh, you know, go on doing for an extended period of time. Um, and now with the with a clear mind, uh, it sounds so ridiculous, and I feel so dumb for you know believing it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I, I got, like I said, proud alcoholic, number one, and then number two, with all the drug use and drinking as a songwriter and an artist, um, I thought it was good for me. I was like, oh, this is good. This is going to help my creativity and all these things. And 
you know, there are times where I found myself at 3 a.m. making some of my best work, but then I wake up the next morning and I'm like, wait, I did that? I don't even remember doing that. So like, how is it my best work? And it's not even my work at that point. I'm kind of realizing. Yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it too. If you don't remember doing it, it's not sure uh, you, you can take credit for it. Um, and also I, I agree with that as a, as a writer. And uh, I sometimes had that same feeling and that's common with artists and writers, you know, that, you know, they drink and, you know, Hemingway, uh, you know, and other writers like that, you know, famous alcoholics, and maybe they get some of their inspiration from this. And, uh, and I felt that way with cocaine too, like maybe it makes me, you know, more creative or, you know, helps me focus. Uh, and once in a while I would create something good, but the, but then I wouldn't do anything creative for, you know, months <laughs> because I'm, yeah. it's taken over everything. And, and uh, so even if, it, even if it did once accidentally produce something good, uh the downside of it meant that I, you know i wasn't working anyway i wasn't writing i wasn't doing what i would have wanted to do yeah exactly yeah I, I would be like three in the morning recording a song wake up and be like wow that, that's i don't remember doing that that's pretty damn good and then like you said like there's a, a way longer extended amount of time where i'm not doing anything a lot of times i'm not even doing anything with what i've done i was like cool there's this piece of art it's sitting over in the corner and now it's just collected all this dust and it's yeah. not even not doing anything with it. Yep, absolutely. So what what was it that got it sounds like we're we're getting right to that point there. So what was it that got you into rehab? What was your your moment there where that uh that you know convinced you to take that next step or ask for help um and get yourself uh, into rehab? So in the last year, there were a couple moments that, that led up to it. Um, one of them was I, I had an attempt to end everything. I was like, how does this stop? This doesn't stop. Well, the only way to make it stop is if I go away. Mm -hmm. I tried that, and by the grace of my higher power, he wouldn't let me um as much as i followed through with it what something happened and it was a miracle and so i'm still here and i you know i thank my higher power every day for that because um i'm realizing how beautiful life is absolutely a huge huge moment um i did you know go home and, and fell apart in front of my dad and told him that um not i don't think i told my mom that mm -hmm. that's when i really started taking an introspective look at what all of this stuff doing to me why am i deteriorating why am i breaking down so bad why do i not enjoy living so much that i have to do that um so i started tracking my drinking trying to stop i i started seeing a therapist and decreasing the amount i was drinking at a certain point i convinced myself I should try and get life insurance in case something like that happens again. Mm -hmm. I could leave money for my godson. Um, and then I did the, you know, full health test for life insurance. And sure enough, I got denied because my liver enzymes were through mm -hmm. the roof. Mm -hmm. I couldn't even stop drinking for 30 days or slow down drinking for 30 days to get a good test result. Then I got really worried and um, I think that worry catapulted me into a deeper dark hole for a while. And then 
the day that really got me back into this is needs to be taken care of um, was the day they were dying the river green for St. Patty's Day in Chicago. Mm-hmm. My youngest brother of us three boys came into town with his girlfriend. Um, I had a bender the night before. I think I got like three hours of sleep. I'm doing lines of coke before they come, so I'm awake and ready. Yeah. And we go out. We, we're enjoying the day. Um, and you know whether this is my fault or not, I don't know. I have to talk to my brother and his girlfriend about it. But she really wanted to see the parade. We saw the river as it was green, and then we went to lunch, and we missed the parade. And I think they were kind of relying on me to know everything because I've been living in Chicago. I I had no idea about anything because I've <laughs> like either been way too drunk at all of it to remember how it goes. And so um, we missed it. She was really bummed. We came back to my apartment and we're drinking more. And I apologized to my brother for being just a shitty drunk for a lot of years. And we had a really good cry sesh. Um, And then right after, I just bounced right back out of that. Okay, time to be kind of this shitty person again. And I had coke in my room and I really, really wanted to do it. I didn't want to be a liar and do some and walk back outside sniffling all day long. Yeah. I just told them, I, I was honest. I said, hey, I have some cocaine in my room. I really, really want to do it. So I'm going to go do it because it's my place. and I'm going to do what I want, but I don't want to be lying to you guys. And even in the act of doing it, it put something in my mind. We're like, that's really shitty of me to do this. Right? Yep. I still did it, but it's really shitty of me to do that in front of my little brother and his girlfriend because they don't do it. They didn't know I was doing it. Um, and I, I have a history of doing that with this brother too. Like before he knew what weed was, we went to the high school and built a fort in the snow piled up at the end of the parking lot. And I brought weed. So we built the fort. I built the chimney through the fort <laughs> and I smoked weed in front of him. And I was like, hey, don't look in my little cubby. And I smoked weed in front of him before he even knew what it was. And I think it hit me. And I was like, fuck, this is really stupid. Like, what am I fucking doing? So we ended up back near my mom's house in the suburbs. And um, kind of, you know, I don't know if it was my decision or his decision, but I found my way home to my mom. And um. I had the liquid courage to talk to my mom about the divorce that she had with my dad when I was very young Mm -hmm. to kind of start spilling those feelings, those thoughts that I've been holding in for, you know, 20 plus years now or about 20 years. Um, And at the end of it, I was just, I was broken and I just told her I needed help and and she said, well, we could see someone. I said, mom, we tried that. It doesn't work. Like, I need to go somewhere. I have to go somewhere this time. And that's it. And um, she just, I, I passed the reins of the chariot to her mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and let her just guide me to Hazelden. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, I mean, that's a really moving uh, story and you know we kind of talked about this the other day too but one thing that's uh, I think is amazing about that story is that there's just a really small moment in time where you had this like uh, 
brief clarity to say, I need some help and say it to your mom, the one person who isn't going to brush that under the rug for sure. You know, most moms, uh, I'll say, uh, definitely mine, if they hear that, uh, they're going to jump into action. And if you had waited another minute, or if you didn't go to, to your mom's that night, uh, that most likely that feeling like, oh my God, I need to help. I'm ready to tell somebody would have passed. And who knows when it would have come back again. There's a really like that yeah. moment. And the fact that you were there with your mom, that saved your life, I think. Yeah, it, it absolutely did. And, and I know we, we kind of briefly talked about it. It's um, as heavy of a moment as it was in my life. And I'm always going to remember it. Um, we did talk about it. it's kind of funny when I look back now that I was at a very drunken, high, elevated state. And it's almost like that gave me this liquid, high courage to talk to my mom about something super vulnerable. So it's almost like the alcohol and drugs brought me to, to that courage to tell my mom. It's a yeah. weird, weird concept, you know? It's it, is, like it is, yeah. It's like the, the poison that you took helped you get help for the poison that you were taking. Yeah. Hey, uh, it's funny. Usually we think of that liquid courage, like to make you do dumb stuff, like, you know, jump off the garage roof or drive a car uh but in this case it gave you the courage to talk to your mom about your problem and ask for help uh and that's so huge that's such a big big deal and i'm really happy for you i'm glad you did and that your mom uh helped get you to hazelden um which is also where i went and uh you know one of the greatest uh, rehab facilities in the world i think so so tell everybody briefly now from that point so then you get you know you you, you end up going to hazelden and uh you did 30 days there and um and then you did some you lived you went came back into uh, sober living for 30 days right hmm. yep and, and then iop which is an intensive outpatient program at hazelden also which is uh you know which i did as well um, so that's about where you are right now. What's your like life and recovery been like? Um, man, it, it's been, kind of like we said at the beginning, it, it's been up and down. There's been some really good moments. And then um, I think what it is nice to say is in drinking, when I think of a down day, it's a really heavy, shitty day. Whereas when I think of a down day in sobriety, it's, you know what, like some, some not okay things happened. I had a couple difficult moments throughout the day, but as I'm going to bed, you know, generally overall, it was actually a pretty solid day. Um, so the downs don't seem as big anymore. They just yeah. kind of more like a moment. It's like, wow, that moment in today was really hard to deal with, but it doesn't linger as long as it used to. It, it can kind of, you know, as long as I can sit and think about it and really digest what happened and move forward in mindfulness, then the rest of my day can still be great. Yeah, to process it and, and, uh, and let it pass, you know, and don't make it worse. You know, when we're drinking and using drugs uh, in the midst of our addiction, that we can make one little thing into a big deal by, you know, screwing it up even worse than it already is we're making a little a little problem into a big one in a hurry uh yeah and i agree i think the lows are, are aren't nearly as low and at the beginning my bad days were often because the highs weren't very high either you know we get used to this yeah. different thing in our in our brains and in just habitually into a different kind of life that uh my biggest problem mine in early recovery is one that you hear a lot which was boredom 
uh, everything felt boring. Things that I used to love to do even felt boring uh, because uh, there's a high benchmark there with cocaine and what it does to your brain, especially um, where nothing seems too exciting. But you just got to wake that out. <laughs> it gets it, it comes back down to it equalizes eventually and comes back down to where it was. We're now the things that uh, that used to make me happy and used to that I used to have fun doing are, are, are fun to me again. And, uh, and I think you're, you're probably already starting to see that, see that happen now. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, when I first got out of rehab, I was, I think what's helped me a lot um, that I don't know if it gets talked about enough, but what's helped me a lot is to go into everything without expectations. Like when I was thinking of rehab, my mom was like, well, did you look it up? Did you look at that? Did you ask the counselor how this works, how that works and this and that? And I'm like, mom, you know what? I don't even like, it doesn't matter. What matters is my recovery. And it doesn't matter who my roommate is there. It doesn't matter what program they have for me. It doesn't matter what this is going to be like. It doesn't matter what the food's going to be like. I just need to know that I can get there. And the only thing that I know is I'm going to be wearing pastel colors and I'm not going to have my phone. <laughs> that's right yep and i mean just the, it's such a relief to be able to i remember getting there you know my life was like a big mess at the moment but that moment where i sat down in the first counselor's office and like ah now i can just turn i really can't turn it over to somebody else like okay it's in your hands now so tell me what to do uh it felt so good it felt so good to, for me not to be responsible for fixing it or getting healthy again or or stopping uh, I got to the point where you can t tell somebody else, hey, here's an expert. All right, I'll follow your rules. Just tell me what to do to make this go away. Mm -hmm. and, and I've continued to practice that as I got out of rehab, like with sober living, it, it's same situation. Everybody was like, well, what's it going to be like? Who's it? And, blah, blah, blah. and I'm like, all I know is I got to be home at a certain time. <laughs> I got to do piss tests and a drug test every day. I got to have a daily chore. And I got to be out the house in the morning. That's all I know. And who knows who's going to be there, but it doesn't matter. It's out of my control. The only thing that I have is me. And then I, you know, carried that into work. I carried that no expectations in the IOP. And um, I, even for myself, I try to just remind myself that I'm going through something that is very, very difficult and delicate. And the more expectations I put in it, the more chance I have of trying to hold this thing up and dropping it. And it just shatters. Yes. And I need to be very aware of that at all times because, you know, things have been frustrating. It, it's not easy. Like I, the sober home was frustrating at times. I was two weeks, I was a week and a half in and I was frustrated. And I'm like, this sucks. I don't want to be here. And then I talked to people from rehab. I talked to my sponsor and everybody was like, just wait it out. Just do it. Even if you don't like it, it's part of your recovery program. You said you were going to do it, do it. So I stuck it out and then I felt comfortable enough to leave, but then I left and then IOP was frustrating. I felt like I was burning out from all these hours mm -hmm. of recovery. Um, and I was like, you know what? I, I got to do it. It's just, this is what I have to do. And, and just no expectations for myself. I don't have to be at a certain point um, in my and recovery. I think that's, I think that what you're saying is, is really important. And it reminds me of another thing that I hear in meetings uh, and in rehab a lot, which is keep it simple, right? Just, just here's, there's four things you need to do 
follow, do those things and, mm -hmm. uh, and trust it. It's a, it, you know, these are programs that have been proven to work. If you do the, if you, if you do follow the rules, you know, and we have to remind ourselves that um, when it was left up to us uh, to fix it, uh, things just got worse instead of better. Um, and so, yeah, you do have to let go of some of the little stuff. And I think that gets easier too over time because we, we have perspective, you know, we know how bad it can be. Um, mm -hmm. I would like to um, lastly give you one, I want to do one, uh, give you a chance to be an influencer here. And then I want to talk about some gratitude. So first uh, tell us something um me and all of my uh, gazillion listeners out there something that uh something that you've been reading or listening to or watching lately uh it can it can be related to anything just something that you think uh is, is good that you'd recommend to my audience okay two things two things i got for you one is a book and one is an album that i just found yesterday so the book that i've been reading and i I'll show you on the screen. I know they're listening. We're only listening, but it's called the book of joy. Um, and the book of joy is written by Douglas Abrams. And it is a conversation on joy between the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who um, has sadly recently passed. But this is, you know, his living memory of his conversation with the Dalai Lama. And um, um is fantastic i mean this book teaches me a lot and it's an entertaining read and um just imagining these two spiritual leaders in our, our world sitting down and enjoying their each other's traditions and, and listening to them talk and agree on things but also have slight disagreements here and there but still being able to enjoy each other's company at the end of the day is, is very profound that's so, awesome. That's a great one. Definitely a recommended read. Um, and now the other, the other um, piece of art I'd like to share is an album that I found yesterday. And I started listening to it. Um, I was unsure of where it was going to take me. But a lot of the music in this album gives me recovery vibes without talking about recovery and addiction and alcohol. It's like somebody on their journey and it just happened to be very similar to recovery. Mm -hmm. uh, first time I've heard this artist too. So his name is Nick Mulvey, M-U-L-E-E-Y. All right. And the album he just released is called New Mythology. All right, I'm writing this down. I will, and I'll put this. I'll put both of these things in the episode notes as well, so so people can check it out if, if they uh, if they want to hear what what you're hearing, and uh, and also the book. I think I'm, I'm gonna be checking that out for sure. Um, I really appreciate it. those. Are like the I don't you know no shade on my my past guests, but those might be the two most thoughtful uh, recommendations we've had so far, and fitting for for what we're talking about. Um, all right. Well, lastly, um, Austin, um, I'd like to have give you a chance to talk about something that you're grateful for. Um, and I will as, as well. I mean, it's been a huge part of my recovery to just, you know, make gratitude lists every day, every night to talk about it. I do it with my kids and uh, just to, to make sure you remember all those things to, that, uh, that we're lucky to have. So what's something that uh, you're grateful for today? For today? Um... It's rather early in the day, 
So I think, you know, what I'm grateful for today is being able to talk to someone you know, someone who brought us together. I had a phone call with her this morning and was able to just um, catch up and make sure she's doing well and that I'm doing well and, and provide updates and set a time to, to meet and hang out. So um, that's what I'm grateful for. Oh, that's great, man. And there's, that reminds me of a few things. One, like as we get sober and our life gets better, one, we're not uh, embarrassed to talk to people. Like, you know, that's a call you wouldn't have made uh, too long ago, you know, because you're so embarrassed. And if you, you know, if people are calling us, you know, we're ashamed, so we don't want to answer, you know, so I screened every call for a long time and, and didn't talk to people, especially people who knew me, uh, because they'd be on to me, you know, uh, that's yeah. one reason why now it doesn't matter how many years later, when my mom calls, I better answer that phone or get back to her within like 30 seconds or, uh, you know, she, she's going to think the worst. And I'm pretty good at it now, I think. Uh, well, I'm certainly grateful for that person as well. Uh, and that you had the chance to talk to her this morning and that you're getting some of those, um, those benefits of, of living a good sober life. Um, on top of that, uh, I, I got to tell you, today I went for my morning walk and I'm very grateful that it's not 100 degrees today. Uh, my, the last couple of days have been uh, pretty gross and I'm trying to do this thing where I walk every day get like my 10,000 steps or whatever and uh, it was uh, I did it yesterday uh, but it wasn't it wasn't fun uh, it wasn't it wasn't a nice leisurely walk it was like swimming more like swimming in the humid yeah. 100 degree weather here so I'm grateful to, for that 80s in, weather in the 80s today is going to be special um, well, I really loved having you on the show today, Austin. I appreciate you coming in. And like I said at the beginning, this is like a full circle deal for me. And, and it also gives other people, I think, who are listening um, an idea of how uh, the 12 steps work, really, because you talked about a bunch of those early steps. And then the last part is sharing your, sharing your story and using it to help other people uh, and how that keeps people coming back, too. So me being able to help you out with the book or whatever uh, helps me then having you come on here and tell your story is gonna help other people and that helps you like you're gonna feel good i mean i'll be sending you a text or an email soon from somebody who's gonna reach out to me and say that they learned something from your story and that just fuels your recovery you know like you're doing something that's gonna help someone else suffer less and uh anyway i really appreciate that so thanks again for coming on and, uh, you know, we're, we're definitely going to keep in touch, man. And uh, hopefully we can hit a meeting together pretty soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Jay. It was a blast talking with you today. My pleasure, man. So now it's time for some thank yous and goodbyes. First of all, thanks again to Austin. For coming on the show today and for being open and honest about your experience. I most definitely learned a thing or two from Austin today. If you too learned something or enjoyed what you heard, be sure to rate and review the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and click the support the podcast link if you're feeling it. And here's a new wrinkle I've decided to add to the podcast. There is also a link at the end of the episode notes that will allow you to leave me a voice message. If you click that link, you can leave a comment or a question for me, and I'd be happy to answer it on the podcast. Or 
If you're more comfortable with email, feel free to drop me a note at between the lines memoir at gmail.com. The whole point is ask me a question, leave me a comment, voice your concerns, and I will address them on the podcast. I think that um, could be interesting and fun and maybe a little scary, but I'll do it anyway. So feel free to leave me a voice message or send me an email. Or just spread the word about the podcast. Tell a friend if you have one, or tell two friends if you're super popular. Most of all, thanks for listening today. And in the wise, wise words of my Uncle Dave, keep it simple, be humble, and hope for the best. See ya.